You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be taking a look at Jeremiah chapter 43, verses 1 to 13, and we'll be talking about the fact that you might be a skeptic if, and we're going to fill in the blank there and give a few examples that illustrate some unhealthy skepticism that sometimes we might wrestle with. But before we take a look at that, I just wanted to share a couple quick things for you. First of all, as we do each week, I just want to invite you to visit us at DesireJesus.com. That's our website. We're continually offering new resources and new blog posts and new content on the website. And we have some things cooking that I think you're going to enjoy that we're adding behind the scenes before we unveil them publicly. But before we do that, I just wanted to point the website out to you and point out some of the things that we already have available on it. Uh, At DesireJesus.com, we have our blog, we have our online Bible studies, we have our bookstore with some devotional resources and marriage resources and leadership resources. We also have links to both of our podcasts, and you can listen to the podcasts online if you prefer to listen to them right from the website, both the Informal Bible Study and the Chapter a Day Audio Bible. And we have a link where you could sign up for our weekly newsletter. And I've been doing something a little bit different with our weekly newsletter for the past few weeks. On Tuesday, I send that out, and I've been including a brief devotional as part of it, and then at the bottom of the newsletter, I've been including links to whatever new content we have on the website. Now, like I said, in a a short time, we're going to be unveiling some additional useful, practical resources that we're going to be able to uh, make available for free from the website. But before we do, stop by, check out the things we already have. We'd love to know that you stopped by. And when you do, sign up to be on our weekly newsletter list. I mentioned last week for our podcast, at the time I was recording it, it was a beautiful day. We're having another beautiful day here in southeast Pennsylvania. I think last week I was enjoying an iced coffee while I recorded our podcast. Today, I am enjoying a sparkling water. Uh, My wife started buying some of these sparkling waters. This is, let's see, this has some grapefruit in it. (laughs) Again, probably not information that you necessarily wanted to know, but if you hear any popping noises or any bubbling, uh, I just opened this thing up right before I turned the microphone on, and I'm noticing that it's rather fizzy, and (laughs) it's making a lot of noise. So that's what it is. It's not static in the background today. It's this sparkling water uh, that I'm enjoying, this sparkling grapefruit water. Um, It's very delicious. I don't know if you like that sort of thing, though, but I definitely do. Now, on to more serious things. Uh, Today we're talking about Jeremiah chapter 43, verses 1 to 13. And as I mentioned a few moments ago, we're addressing the thought that you might be a skeptic if— and we're going to take a look at a few things that this portion of Scripture shows to us that give us examples of what unhealthy skepticism toward the Lord— actually looks like. So if you have a Bible handy, you're welcome to open up with me. I'll be reading Jeremiah 43, starting with verse 1, and this is what it says. When Jeremiah finished speaking to all the people all these words of the Lord their God, with which the Lord their God had sent him to them, Azariah the son of Hoshiah, and Johanan the son of Kareah, 
And all the insolent men said to Jeremiah, You are telling a lie. The Lord our God did not send you to say, Do not go to Egypt to live there. But Baruch, the son of Neriah, has set you against us to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans, that they may kill us or take us into exile in Babylon. So Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the commanders of the forces and all the people did not obey the voice of the Lord to remain in the land of Judah. But Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the commanders of the forces took all the remnant of Judah who had returned to live in the land of Judah from all the nations to which they had been driven, the men, the women, the children, the princesses, and every person whom Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had left with Gedaliah, the son of Ahakam, son of Shaphan, also Jeremiah the prophet, and Baruch, the son of Neriah, and they came into the land of Egypt, for they did not obey the voice of the Lord, and they arrived at Tapanes. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah in Tapanes, Take in your hands large stones, and hide them in the mortar in the pavement that is at the entrance to Pharaoh's palace in Tapanes, in the sight of the men of Judah, and say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will send and take Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will set his throne above these stones that I have hidden and he will spread his royal canopy over them. He shall come and strike the land of Egypt, giving over to the pestilence those who are doomed to the pestilence, to captivity those who are doomed to captivity, and to the sword those who are doomed to the sword. I shall kindle a fire in the temples of the gods of Egypt, and he shall burn them and carry them away captive." and he shall clean the land of Egypt as a shepherd cleans his cloak of vermin, and he shall go away from there in peace. He shall break the obelisks of Heliopolis, which is in the land of Egypt, and the temples of the gods of Egypt he shall burn with fire. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to look at this portion of Scripture today and to wrestle with this idea of unhealthy skepticism. Lord, we recognize that sometimes we need a portion of Scripture like this to jostle us a little bit and to reveal truth to us in a way that maybe we don't want to address and maybe we don't want to hear. But Lord, we're grateful for the privilege to be able to look at a portion of Scripture like this that reveals truth to us, that's to our benefit, and it's to your glory, as we seek to be men and women who walk with you through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that we would put these principles into practice as we learn more about what it means to genuinely trust you. Thank you, Lord, for this portion of Scripture today, and we thank you, Lord, for the privilege to walk with you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Are there people that you have to interact with regularly that you don't really trust? I have an acquaintance that I have to interact with periodically throughout the year, and the longer that I've known him, the less I feel like I can believe what he says. I'll think he's speaking plainly with me, and then I'll discover that what he said is the opposite of what is true. Now, it's hard to function or work with someone like that. In fact, I consider it nearly impossible. Now, generally speaking, 
Do you tend to believe others when they tell you something, or do you take what they say under consideration until you have the opportunity to do a little research yourself? What about the Lord? When he speaks, are you primarily skeptical, or are you trusting of what he says? To what degree do you value what he has made known in his word? Now, in the portion of Scripture that we're looking at today, we'll be shown various signs of unhealthy skepticism and how God chooses to ultimately address the fruit of this form of unbelief. And one of the signs that you might be a skeptic is found in verses 1 through 3, where it reveals to us that if you're a skeptic, truth is treated like a lie. Look again at those opening verses. Let me reread them for us. When Jeremiah finished speaking to all the people all these words of the Lord their God, with which the Lord their God had sent him to them, Azariah the son of Hoshiah and Johanan the son of Korea, and all the insolent men said to Jeremiah, You are telling a lie. The Lord our God did not send you to say, Do not go to Egypt to live there. But Baruch, the son of Neriah, has set you against us to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans, that they may kill us or take us into exile in Babylon. During the era in which the events of this passage were taking place, the nation of Babylon was in the process of invading Judah and taking the people captive. The people were trying to figure out what to do, And the Lord revealed through Jeremiah that they were to cooperate with this captivity. A remnant of the people remained in Judah, and they were scared. They wondered what they were supposed to do next. Should they stay where they were, or should they try to flee to Egypt, where, hopefully, the king of Babylon wouldn't find them or pursue them? Jeremiah was asked by these people to pray to the Lord and seek direction in this particular matter. The previous chapter tells us that Jeremiah prayed on behalf of this group of people for ten days and then gave them the answer that the Lord revealed. The Lord's instruction was for them to remain in Judah and not flee to Egypt. He promised to protect them and even indicated that he would cause the king of Babylon to be favorably disposed toward them and show them mercy. But how did this remnant of people respond? Even though they had initially promised that they would follow whatever counsel the Lord revealed through Jeremiah, they did the opposite. They didn't like what Jeremiah said because it conflicted with what they already wanted to do. So they called him a liar, and they rejected the message the Lord revealed through him. Is this anything new among humanity? Isn't this something we've seen at times in our own lives and in the lives of those around us? When the Lord makes his truth known to us, particularly through his word, what is our natural response to that truth? Naturally speaking, we're inclined to treat it like it's true when it meshes with what we want to do anyway, and we treat it like it's a lie when the Lord's word conflicts with what we wanted to hear. Anecdotally, I've seen this take place in many respects, Uh, I remember a conversation I had with a member of my extended family several decades ago. This is quite some time ago. He was dating a woman that he intended to marry, and he told me that even though he knew he should wait to be intimate with her once they married, 
he felt like it was maybe no big deal to take their relationship in that direction early because he he figured, well, we're going to get married anyway, so why not? Now, not surprisingly, they didn't get married. And there were multiple unfortunate consequences that came from his decision to treat the truth of the standard that God has set like it was a lie. But I don't want to spend all my time pointing fingers at others, because the truth is I have to confess that there are plenty of examples in my own life where I've also treated God's revealed truth like it was a lie, in the sense that I went and did my own thing in the face of what he had already clearly revealed. In fact, it's one of our greatest struggles as people. It's one of our greatest struggles as believers in Jesus Christ. Thankfully, our Lord is patient and he's merciful toward us. His kindness toward his rebellious children invites us to repent. Look at what we're told in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It says this, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God, in his kindness, invites us to repent. And as our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ develops and grows, he causes us to mature, and he causes us to begin responding to what he has revealed more seriously, because we begin to see his truth as a reflection of his heart. But skepticism is when we start treating truth like it's a lie. And that's certainly something that was taking place in this portion of the book of Jeremiah. Another visible sign of unhealthy skepticism comes when the voice of God is ignored. Look at verses 4 through 7 of Jeremiah 43. They say this, So Johanan the son of Korea and all the commanders of the forces and all the people did not obey the voice of the Lord to remain in the land of Judah. But Johanan the son of Korea and all the commanders of the forces took all the remnant of Judah who had returned to live in the land of Judah from all the nations to which they had been driven, the men, the women, the children, the princesses, and every person whom Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had left with Gedaliah, the son of Ahakam, son of Shaphan, also Jeremiah the prophet, and Baruch, the son of Neriah. And they came into the land of Egypt, for they did not obey the voice of the Lord. And they arrived at Tappanese. One of the elders in our church took a drive with me recently to visit and advise another congregation. And we had a a good drive. It was a couple hours each way. And so on the way, we were talking about a variety of things with our life and with our families. And one of the things we were talking about was how we felt about the experience of teaching our children to drive. We're both doing that right now. And I mentioned to him that, that one of the ground rules I set up for my kids was to respond immediately if I yelled something. Uh, the way I phrased it, I, I, I cautioned them not to get upset if I raised my voice because I, what I was trying to tell them was raising my voice in that context was not an indication of anger. It wasn't me saying that I'm mad. What it was was an attempt to quickly get their attention invite them to listen, and caution them about an area of danger that I might be noticing before they did. And he agreed that's very similar to the experience that he's having as he's teaching his children. Now, in multiple ways throughout Scripture, God illustrates the fact that he relates to us 
like a loving father because he loves us and because he knows that we can't see the kind of things he can see, he makes a point to warn us of what's coming. In the context of this passage, the Lord gave sufficient caution to the people and leaders of Judah of what they could expect to happen if they elevated their own ideas over his wisdom. But they didn't listen to his voice. God told them not to go to Egypt, but that's precisely where they went. Johanan and the commanders of the forces led the people to Egypt, and apparently they kidnapped Jeremiah and Baruch, forcing them to come as well. Baruch, by the way, was Jeremiah's friend and Jeremiah's scribe, and one of only a couple people that the book of Jeremiah describes as actually listening to Jeremiah's teaching. It's a dangerous thing to ignore the voice of God, and we've all done it. We've all played the part of the skeptic. We've all tried to drown out the voice of God so that it falls into the background and gets replaced with our own voice or the voices of our heroes that we sometimes prefer to listen to. But God wants us to listen to his voice and not harden our hearts against him. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. It says this, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Scripture tells us to not harden our hearts against the Lord, to listen to his voice. How then does God often speak to us? Well, there's a variety of ways that Scripture illustrates. First off, the Lord speaks to us through the Bible, which he revealed to us as the Holy Spirit gave the biblical writers the words to write down. Look at what it says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. It says this, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We also know that the Lord has spoken to us through various prophets, and the words of a biblical prophet will never contradict the teaching of Scripture. He's also spoken to us through his Son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 2 say it this way, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. We also know that the Lord speaks to us through various people that he places in our lives, through circumstances that he orchestrates on our behalf, and through the Holy Spirit who convicts our conscience. We as children of God are presented with the same options as the children the Lord has entrusted to us are presented with. Just as our children can choose to receive or reject our counsel, we can choose to receive or reject the counsel of God. We can respond when he gets our attention, or we can pretend we didn't hear him. We can make the extra effort to read the words he has revealed in Scripture through his prophets, or we can waste more time watching TV and more time surfing the Internet. We can say yes to him, or we can say no to him, but just imagine all the needless sorrow we'll experience if our default response to the voice of God 
remains a hard-hearted no. A person who has adopted an unhealthy level of skepticism hears the voice of God and ignores it. But God doesn't want us to ignore his voice. God wants us to listen and to respond when he speaks. This scripture from Jeremiah 43 illustrates one other reality that comes with an unhealthy level of skepticism, and that's this. God has to prove the accuracy of his word to you the hard way. Look again at what it says in verses 8 through 13 of Jeremiah 43. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah in Tappanese. Take in your hands large stones and hide them in the mortar in the pavement that is at the entrance to Pharaoh's palace in Tappanese, in the sight of the men of Judah, and say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will send and take Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will set his throne above these stones that I have hidden, and he will spread his royal canopy over them. He shall come and strike the land of Egypt, giving over to the pestilence those who are doomed to the pestilence, to captivity those who are doomed to captivity, and to the sword those who are doomed to the sword. I shall kindle a fire in the temples of the gods of Egypt, and he shall burn them and carry them away captive, and he shall clean the land of Egypt as a shepherd cleans his cloak of vermin, and he shall go away from there in peace. He shall break the obelisks of Heliopolis, which is in the land of Egypt, and the temples of the gods of Egypt he shall burn with fire. There is no lasting joy in approaching life as a continual skeptic toward the Lord. And if that's the posture we select, we'll eventually experience the day when he proves the accuracy of his word to us the hard way. When Jeremiah and the others arrived in Egypt, the Lord told him to do something visible and symbolic for the skeptics to observe. He was told to hide large stones in the mortar of the pavement at the entrance of Pharaoh's palace while the men of Judah were looking. And then the Lord instructed Jeremiah to tell them that the day would come when Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, whom they were attempting to flee, would strike the land of Egypt and set his throne above these very stones. In other words, these skeptics were about to learn not to ignore the word of the Lord the hard way. I am guilty of choosing the hard way over the easy way of trusting what God has said more times than I wish to count. And I realize I'm not alone in that battle. Ignoring God's voice and rejecting the truth of his word feeds our struggle with the presence of persistent sin in our lives. If you're currently wrestling with an area of temptation in your life or an area of rebellion against God that seems to be an ongoing struggle, I want to share something that I read recently that I consider to be particularly insightful and helpful as we seek to grow mature in our walk with Christ and learn to practice the grace of biblical repentance from our unbelief. This is something that was written by a man named Matt Erbaugh, and he says this, we can be in the habit of going through the motions when it comes to repenting, but the most important thing is the condition of our heart. Does your repentance look like a heart that has been rent like a garment, broken and contrite as it beats before God? 
This attitude is missing from most repentance, and it's the very thing God is trying to teach us. We must also be aware of one of the biggest hindrances to obtaining a broken heart, our neglect of the relational aspect of sinning. By this I mean that we can view sin as a failure of performance rather than a failure of intimacy. I thought that was insightful because the Lord has created us to experience the joy of a genuine relationship with Him. Through faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, that becomes possible. By nature, I'm a skeptic, and you're a skeptic. But what more could God show us or do for us to convince us that there's greater joy in walking with Him than walking away from Him? Right now, can you identify anything that might be getting in the way of you experiencing a deeper walk with the Lord? Is it possible that our major struggle is our hesitance to listen for and respond to His voice, just like the skeptics we see in this portion of Scripture? Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word. And thank you for the blessings of being able to look at it together today. Thank you for the fact that your word points us to your Son, Jesus Christ, through whom we receive the forgiveness of sin and new life. Lord, as recipients of this gift of salvation, as recipients of this forgiveness, as men and women who possess a relationship with you that you've granted to us by grace through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray, Lord, that we would listen to your voice, that we would walk closely with you, and that we would honor you in all aspects of our lives. Lord, help us not to merely see sin in our lives as a failure of performance. Help us, Lord, to recognize that it's actually a failure of intimacy. And when we invite anything into our lives that conflicts with the deep, personal, abiding relationship that you want to have with us, we pray, Lord, that you would break our heart. We pray that we would repent of it. And we pray that we would come to you and seek forgiveness and restoration as you promised to supply in your word. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. And thank you for the privilege to be able to look at this portion of Scripture together today. Help us by your grace to live out the principles that we learn from it. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, we invite you to stop by our website, which is desirejesus.com, and begin making use of the various resources that we have available for you there. And if you're not on our email list yet, if you don't receive our Tuesday afternoon newsletter, be sure to sign up for it via the link that you'll find on our website. But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. And we look forward to catching up with you again right here next Monday. Take care.
Hey friend, I'm Brooke McLaughlin, host of the Everyday Prayers Podcast, a ministry of Million Praying Moms, and I'm here to invite you to partner with God for the hearts of your children on the daily. Our goal at Everyday Prayers is to help moms understand and pray God's Word. Join us each weekday as we share insights from God's Word for today's Christian mom. Tune in to the Everyday Prayers Podcast in your favorite app or by visiting lifeaudio.com.